Today's episode is brought to you by trainedup.church. You know, one of the most critical responsibilities we have as ministry leaders is to train our volunteers, equipping the saints for ministry. But it can be really frustrating as well, can't it? We have to find a date and a time and a location that works for everybody. And then, of course, it doesn't actually work for everybody. So what do you do with the folks who can't make it? And then when someone joins the church next month and wants to start volunteering, do you do the training all over again? After a while, all that time and the pizza lunches really start to add up. It was an answer to this challenge that Scott Magdalene and his team built Trained Up. Scott himself was an executive pastor and realized that online video courses were a flexible and powerful way to capture training once and deliver it to an unlimited number of volunteers at their convenience. Trained Up has an extensive library of training videos and courses you can share with your team, but even more importantly, they give you the ability to film and upload your own training videos and courses to ensure that the language, concepts, and details are right for your church. You can even add a quiz at the end to make sure people are paying attention while they watch. It can be as simple as using your own computer's webcam or the camera on your phone, but if video isn't your thing, you can hire their production team to create a professional quality video using your content. Check out Trained Up today by heading over to trainedup.church. Hey, this is Dan Wonderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. My guest today is Reverend Katie Z. Dawson. She's the lead pastor at Emanuel United Methodist Church in Des Moines, Iowa. Katie joins us today to talk about preparing for and preaching the season of Advent. But before we jump into my conversation with Katie, speaking of preparation for Advent, I wanted to let you know that I have created some social media and worship graphics you can use for the season of Advent. So head over to the blog at defininggrace.com to grab your free Advent graphics. All right, here's my conversation with Reverend Katie Z. Dawson. Well, my guest today is Reverend Katie Z. Dawson, and she's the lead pastor at Emanuel United Methodist Church in Des Moines, Iowa. Katie, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks so much, Dan, for having me. Absolutely. Well, why don't you begin by telling us a little bit about yourself as well as your ministry and its context? Yeah, well, I am, I'm in my 10th year of ministry. I'm United Methodist, and um, I am serving a church right now that is, um, it's kind of in between an urban, suburban church. Um, we're in a residential neighborhood here in the city of Des Moines. Um, there's a lot happening in Des Moines. It's a really vibrant city. There's a lot of art and culture, and so there's great opportunities to connect, a lot of young people. Um, but we also are really close to the um, to the countryside, so the Iowa State Fair is starting today here in Des Moines. So, you know, there's also cows and pigs and chickens and that kind of stuff, so... And uh, um, and political candidates. <laughs> and political candidates. That's very true. There is a lot happening in our state. Um, and um, I'm serving a church right now that is, is pretty diverse in, in some ways and not in others. They're a church that really cares about mission, and we're really intergenerational. We have um, a lot of young people, a lot of older people. Uh, one family in our church spans four generations. Wow. And... Um, so we've got a lot of that age diversity in, in this church. And we're, we're pretty kind of politically, theologically diverse, too. And um, so that kind of um, adds to some liveliness, sure. especially around those hot political seasons. But we, we, it's kind of a family-feeling church as well, so a lot of people really care about each other here. So are you a native Iowan, or did you come from somewhere else? No, I'm, I'm a native Iowan. I knew I wanted to get out of the Midwest, and so um, for a seminary, I, I headed south, and I went to Vanderbilt, but um, I knew I was always meant to come back. So That's so uh, great. Born and bred. Well, what are your philosophies or approaches to preaching and communication in general? If you maybe had a mission statement mm. or guiding principle, what would it be? 
You know, I, uh, I really try to hard to make sure that I'm paying attention to what's going on in the world. And there's a, a quote, it, it kind of is attributed to a lot of different folks, you know, to, um, to preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in another. And um, although today, for me, that's like having Facebook open in one tab <laughs> and having, like, Bible Gateway open in the other tab. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I try to do. I pay attention to what, what's going on in people's lives and what's happening in the world. And um, I kind of feel if I'm not addressing what's happening, then I'm not doing my job as, as a pastor. And um, so I try to make sure that, that what we're doing is relevant to people's lives, that it also hits on, you know, what are the things that we're worried about or the things that, um, that our hearts are breaking for. Um, so that's a big piece of what I do is, is connect with um, Scripture, with what's happening in our lives. Sure, absolutely. And uh, this is going to air a good bit after we record this. This is um, late summer, uh, early, early fall. And we're kind of going through that that point in time where there's maybe a little tension between our country and North Korea. And yeah. uh, and by the time this airs in November, hopefully everything will be wrapped up and resolved and there won't have been a nuclear war or anything. <laughs> but I would imagine being in a state like Iowa around the start of the state fair, which is a epicenter for politics and having a very diverse congregation, I, uh, I, I don't envy the task that you have these next couple Sundays. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, it's always difficult. I, I think one thing we do is um, I have an associate as well, and we try to surround everything we do with prayer. And so even this coming Sunday, um, it's a Sunday that's been really designated, and, and there's a call to prayer that's been sent out. And so um, we'll lift up the Korean conflict in our um, in our prayer time. And so that's one way. I think that kind of frames it in a different way that it's not necessarily starting with, you know, this is what you should do, but right. inviting the whole congregation into a place of prayer, I think it makes a really big difference. I also am not afraid to go to the scriptures and talk about what the scriptures say. And sometimes that comes across as political. Um, but I've also talked with my congregation about how, um, the political and, and what it means to be involved in that is really to be active in what's happening in our civil lives and that all of our roles as, as citizens is to engage deeply and and we're not, because we're Christian doesn't mean that we completely divorce ourselves from what's happening in the world. So um, I try to create space for there to be, you know, discussion in the midst of that, but that whatever we're doing, we should start from a place of scripture and, and that should inform how we act in the world. Yeah, absolutely. That that uh, the quote about the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, folks tend to truncate that quote, and it ends there. And and I believe it goes on. the The original version said that that we use our Bible to interpret the newspaper and not the yeah. other way around. And so I really appreciate that approach. Well, we're yeah. we're here today to talk about Advent, and like I said, we're recording this the end of the summer, but this will release just over four weeks away from the start of Advent. And while some mm-hmm. of our listeners out there may be overachievers and they've got everything planned and, and ready. To to go, everything nailed down, I would imagine all of us at, at least have a little bit of planning to go, if not full-on Advent planning. And so I was wondering, how do you approach planning for and, and preparing for Advent? Yeah, this is actually the time when I'm sitting down and I'm working on some of that, although I have to be honest, I, I have to get through October and November 1st, so <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm doing my, my planning right now for, for those um, two seasons. I, I really plan seasonally, and so... I try to think up um, whether it's a period of four to six to eight weeks 
what is the overall flow of that time going to be and um, what's the theme that's going to carry that and what are even some liturgical elements that will help reinforce that. Um, and so what I'll do is kind of this time of year, I'll, I'll sit there and um, plan out what, what Advent's going to look like or, you know, stewardship season, which sure. is the one that's really on my agenda yeah. today. Um, and and I try to take the worship pieces to reinforce what's happening in in that service. But once I once I figure out what it is I want it to say, we kind of just plug and play from there. So uh, for Lent, one thing we try to do is I try to have um, a lot more confession during the time of Lent. And so that'll be a bigger chunk, and so we won't do something else because confession plays a prominent role. Advent is really a time of preparation, and I think it's a time when we need to turn back to the prophets and to remember the kind of that promise that God's not done with us yet, <laughs> this, yeah. this culmination that is still to come. And so we tend to do a lot more um, reading from the Old Testament in, in our season of Advent and kind of pull on some of those uh, prophets from Isaiah and um, various places that point to that, that coming of Christ. Um, and, and so that'll be a, a p- pretty prominent part. And um, usually it's around the Advent candles um, liturgy that we, we pull some of those pieces in. And I want to ask you, do you, for, for seasons like Advent and Lent, do you try to plan chronologically or are you able to lift those seasons kind of out and think about them separately and plan them earlier just because you know that they're such an important season of preparation? You know, that's a great question. I, I think I, I tend to think more chronologically in part just because of the practicalities of the, the folks I'm working with. Um, I've got a, a worship team for our contemporary service that likes to know what their music's going to be and um, and, you know, I want to make sure my music director is on board with our traditional service. And so I think I do tend to think more chronologically so that I make sure those groups have the materials they need ahead of time. Um, but I think maybe some of the big sketches of at least what's the theme going to be for the season, um, that I will kind of lay out a little bit ahead of time so that, um, you know, my, my music directors already picked the Christmas cantata. So, yeah. you know, wanting that all to fit together. Um, it means I have to at least <laughs> get a jump start on that um, a little bit ahead. So, Yeah, and, and the reason I ask that is uh, a couple years ago when we launched this podcast, our very first episode was about Advent as well. And he and his church, they plan Advent, I believe, like four months in advance uh, mm. and Lent four months in advance. So they don't necessarily take it chronologically, although I think he yeah. plans a year at a time. But uh, as I'm counting back through that in my head, it means that for you as a pastor to even come in and lead those meetings, you've got to be thinking about Advent in late spring or early summer, which is kind of like <laughs> right after Easter. And so maybe you're reading Christmas books or checking out what, you know, Cokesbury or Amazon has to offer in the middle of June. Uh, And of course, that's when all the Christmas records are recorded. So you sometimes see your favorite artist wearing (laughs) a Santa hat on Instagram in the middle of June. But uh, how are you able to kind of put yourself in the Christmas or Advent spirit when it's still, you know, 100 degrees outside? Yeah, that is a a really difficult challenge. Um, I actually have a, an Advent study coming out for this year, and, and most of it was written in um, kind of January and February of this past <laughs> year. So, I mean, it was just after Christmas, and I was sick of Christmas, and I was sick of Advent, and yet I was having to write about it. And right. I found that one thing I do is music kind of sets the stage for me, mm. and so I made sure that I had some good music going in the background. So that does mean, you know, maybe listening to some Advent hymns and Christmas carols and the 
the middle of the heat, you know, just to yeah. get you in the right mindset that that makes a big difference. Do you have any favorite uh, Christmas music or, or artists that you turn to to set the mood? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the I have a channel set up on my Pandora. And I think I initially started it based on, um, is it Sufjan Stevens? I can't remember how to yeah, say Yeah, Sufjan Stevens, yeah. And um, that was kind of the basis for I like the whimsical stuff, but I also like the kind of the traditional stuff that's updated in a new way. Uh, I have a different station, though, I also turn to that is um, a lot of really kind of ancient stuff, and yeah. it's based around O Come, O Come Emmanuel, mm. and a lot of really kind of more somber, minor key, um, classical type stuff. So depending on what I'm working on, if I'm, if I'm focusing on Advent and that call to kind of, you know, get our lives in order because Christ is coming again, I, I turn more to the minor key stuff. Yeah. Spotify has a really great classical Christmas playlist that has some stuff like that on there. My, my, um, my, temptation year round is the Charlie Brown Christmas soundtrack, um, yes. <laughs> which at least it doesn't have words. So it's not like you're hearing, you know, jingle bells or something. It, jingle bells isn't on the, on the album, but you're not hearing like at least the words to the songs all year round. So you can just kind of play it in the background. That is, that's the one album that I allow myself to listen to year round. It's a good one. Well, um, what is your ideal schedule? So you're still, this is, uh, we're in the beginning of August. You're working on October. You're working on November. In the ideal world where Katie gets to control everything, she has <laughs> as many hours a day as she needs. She gets as much sleep as she wants. She gets to read everything. Ideally, how early would you love to have Advent planned? Or maybe <laughs> more realistically, how ideally would your worship team love for you to have Advent planned? My my goal, and, and we're actually pretty on track this year so far, I'd love to have Advent planned by the start of our Rally Day kickoff. Um, Rally Day is a really big thing here where all of our fall programming starts back up, and that is mid-September, and so um, the week after Labor Day, actually. And so um, that's kind of that's my what I'm shooting for is to have, have everything kind of planned out. And what I find is when I do that, then I'm able to actually be present and worship for... Yeah you know, for the season. Um, and that gives me the space to, to do that. And I would assume you mean planned by, you have topics and scriptures, not necessarily sermons written yet, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Sermon, yeah. <laughs> sermons are a whole different story. Sermons usually happen that week. Um, in part because of that commitment I have to make sure that the text speaks to what's happening in the world. And so, uh, even when I have things planned out and even when I have a, a draft ready ahead of time, I, tend to rewrite my sermons based on what happens. And so um, I've actually kind of gotten into a habit of doing a lot of my sermon writing on Sunday mornings because there are so many things that happen on Saturdays. Yeah. And last summer I was preaching through the prophets, and we did a series all summer long. We had a different prophet lined up for each week, and um, I was in Jeremiah, and um, the Pulse nightclub shooting happened on Saturday night. Yeah. I got up and I was preaching about lament. And so I, I rewrote my entire sermon Sunday morning because I couldn't not. Um, we were lamenting. The whole country was lamenting. And so how do you, how do you not adjust and, and speak God's word into that moment? So, um, so my sermons wait till the last minute because I want to make sure that, that we're connecting that text with, um, with what is happening in the world. Wow, that's that's incredible. That's a, a kind of a gutsy thing, but I, I'm sure that once you kind of get used to that, you learn how to give yourself an outline that you can plug 
current events into. But even if nothing ends up happening, all the right college football teams win, all the wrong teams lose, <laughs> nothing breaks, you still have a sermon. That's right. That's right. Um, I do. I mean, I do all my exegesis. I, I yeah. spend my time in the scripture. I kind of have a direction of, you know, I know what the scripture says, and then all I have to do is figure out what what is the context saying. Okay, so we're not imagining Katie sitting at Starbucks at four thirty on Sunday morning with her commentaries and and logos. No, and stuff no, no. That, that stuff's done. <laughs> at least that part. Although I, I have heard that textweek.com gets their highest amount of traffic on Saturday. So I they, bet so. There's a I lot of, so. uh, there's a lot of, but that's not current event stuff. That's people who literally have not prepared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's true. And you know, there are weeks when that happens where, when yeah. there's two funerals and, and you know, your car broke down. And so there are also those Saturday night specials that are just, you know, necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Well, from your perspective, what are some of the unique opportunities uh, or even challenges of preaching a season like Advent? I think the biggest challenge is keeping Advent Advent and not making it Christmas. Yeah. Because I think we're so excited, you know, the world is preparing for Christmas. <laughs> that kind of cultural um, push towards um, towards that, you know, season of gift giving. And the Advent is not that, I think, is the real challenge. One of the things that I really try to focus on is that we are preparing for the birth of Christ, and that's that's kind of that memorial piece. We remember the birth of Christ, but much of Advent is about getting ready for Christ to come again, and this reminder that that this story is not finished, and we are just beginning the story all over again. So I think that's that's one of the biggest challenges, I think, and um, so, you know, those those minor songs come in, and I actually love those. I think oh, yeah. Advent's a season when the world is going crazy. I think that's also a great opportunity because it's a great moment for us to speak into the midst of that and offer a different vision, to slow down, to, um, to stop and reflect, and to put our hearts back in line with God. Um, I think that's, that's probably the greatest opportunity. There's a lot of people hurting and, you know, kind of that glitz and glamour of the, the holidays, um, really don't speak to a lot of people who are, are struggling and, and our Advent texts and our, our Advent worship can. Well, Advent is one of those seasons that comes around every year. Uh, it also tends to be a season that even preachers who don't use lectionary, it tends to be a season where we're still coming back to a traditional set of scriptures. How do you keep Advent fresh for yourself and, and how do you keep it fresh for your congregation? I think one of the things I, I try to do is, um, I don't necessarily shy away from the familiar because I, I think there's power in that familiar. And so there's, there's an opportunity to kind of rehearse again and kind of let your body sink back into those rhythms and those scriptures. And so I, I'm not afraid to kind of let that, let that be that way. Mm. Um, but I also think something I try to do is my congregation's really big on seasonal studies. And so if we've got a, a study that we're doing all together, then that will kind of shape what we use in worship as well. A couple of years ago, we actually, um, you mentioned McGray, and, and we had done McGray's book all, um, Awaiting the Already, and yeah. so we, we let that shape um, kind of our take on those scriptures. So I think you can you can let those scriptures speak to um, point, point in a certain direction. And so um, that's something we try to do. And we have a, a common thread throughout that season then based on that theme. Um, it kind of adds some freshness to it that way. When speaking of Advent studies, you mentioned this earlier. You uh, 
actually are the one providing one of the Advent books to the church this year. It is already out by the time this episode comes out. Why don't you tell us a little bit about All Earth is Waiting, what inspired it, and and what can churches and pastors expect to find in your book? Yeah, one of the things that that I was really trying to do in this book was to think— Based on based on the Bible, based on our, our scripture texts, how do we care for this world that God has given us? I, I kept thinking back to hymns like um, "Joy to the World," and we've got these things about heaven and nature singing, and um, you know the the rocks shout out is part of our scripture. You know this idea that that nature is also preparing for for Christ to come again, and so that was kind of my initial entry point into this season and, and thinking about. What, what do we need to be paying attention to? What is the earth saying? What are the songs that we're hearing from this world? And, and what's our role in the midst of that? I I'd mentioned before that my congregation's fairly fairly diverse, and so we have a, a green team at my church that's, that's really active in, in creation care and, and ways that we can uh, not only improve energy efficiency but be more responsible. And so we've converted all of our parking lot lights to LED and all that kind of stuff. We also have folks who are, are pretty sure that climate change is not a reality. And so, you know, I've got <laughs> yeah. both of those in my midst. And part of what I also wanted to do was find a common scriptural ground for us to have a conversation hmm. about what is our role as stewards of this earth as we prepare for Christ to come again. That's great. And so um, I wanted to not shy away from those traditional themes of Advent. So our first week is about hope and about how... Um, Paul writes that all creation is groaning, all creation's waiting for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. And, and Paul says that we are the hope that when we act as God's sons and daughters, when our salvation is lived out, then this earth will be um, redeemed and restored as well. So, so the earth's waiting for us. We're the hope of this world. And then I, I talked a little bit, our, our second week, we turned to John the Baptist and those, those prophets that talk about clearing the way for, for God's salvation to come and I use that as an opportunity to talk about our um, our use of resources. Are are we clearing the way for God's salvation, or are we, you know, adding obstacles through our our use of of things across this world? And the third week's about food. Um, food is a big part of the holidays, <laughs> yeah. but the scripture's full of food. Um, you know, God sets a banquet in the midst of the uh, of the people, and and God provides for us. And so, how does our our joy relate to that? And and how do we then care for this world that, that provides that feast? And then um, I, I discovered John Wesley has a sermon on animals, which I didn't know existed. <laughs> and so in our fourth week, we're talking about peace and that idea of the peaceable kingdom. And what is that vision of the lion and the lamb? Tell us about how we should act today. How should we be caring for, for these creatures, including the ones that will come to gather at the manger? Um, so I... I kind of taking those pretty traditional themes, but turning them on their head a little bit with, with the earth as the focus. And so there's a, there's a primary book version, which uh, classes can use for small groups or pastors could use potentially for a sermon series. And then there's also uh, a devotional set that goes with it, correct? That's right. Yeah. And one thing that um, I advocated for in my book is because I'm so used to using, um, studies um, and tying them in with worship, there's also worship resources that are at the back of the, um, of the main book so that um, 
if you are someone who's just getting started, there are candle readings, there's calls to worship, there's confessions, there's some suggestions. So, um, so if you're just getting started, there, there's material there to help you <laughs> along the way. Oh, that's so great. And there'll be a link in the show notes to where uh, you can find and purchase all these things. Well, one of the themes that you have mentioned multiple times in our conversation, then it also sounds like it's strongly reflected in your book, is this idea that Christmas is not just about what happened 2,000 years ago. And I will admit that, that even uh, when I'm preparing candle readings and things, it talks about the future and Christ coming again. But when I'm not interacting with sort of that strict liturgical stuff, and I'm only looking at the scriptures, my brain gets just sucked into the nativity and the historical story, and I kind of forget sometimes or lose perspective on the the Christ coming again part and how Advent is a looking forward as well. Why do you think some of us forget about that, and why is it so important to you to, to feature that perspective? I think we forget about it because when we are rehearsing what's happened, it's familiar and it's comfortable and we know the story and so nothing in our lives has to change. Mm. And, um, and that's, you know, that's a great place to be, you yeah. know, it's, it's nostalgic and, and it's lovely and it's beautiful. And I think when we talk about Christ coming again, that forces us to remember that this world is not perfect yet. Um, it forces us to look at the things in this world that still need redemption. It asks us, oh, goodness, what am I doing to continue to prepare so that I am not one of those people who has not filled my lamps um, and I'm not waiting when the bridegroom shows up. Um, So I I think when we we keep that future focus on Advent and um, the the coming of Christ once again, it's it's more active and it it forces us to be in that that place of, of getting ourselves ready in a really different way than kind of preparing for a baby where it's it's comfortable and it's familiar and it, it challenges us it pushes us outside of our comfort zones and when we think about discipleship and how we're supposed to live our lives it, it should change who we are it Absolutely. should transform us day by day yeah. and we should continually be moving on to that perfection of Christ so um, so that's why I really try to emphasize that piece that um, advent is not just about what's happened but it's about what will happen well, we have a set of questions that we like to ask all of our guests, and the first one you can answer either side or both. What's one of your favorite or most challenging preaching experiences? I was thinking about this question earlier, and I think one of the most challenging things was I, I was preaching a series, um, and this was actually Advent one year, and um, it was a, a sermon on, on peace and reconciliation and there was a lot of conflict in my family at the time. Mm. And I was pastoring a small um, small town church at the, at the time and was about half an hour, 45 minutes for my family. And getting ready for that time of worship, and I was standing up in the pulpit, starting, starting the worship, starting the scripture, and my grandma walked in. And um, the, the source of the conflict was around my, my grandmother and my, and my father. And that was probably one of the most challenging moments because all of a sudden I was not preaching to the congregation. Yeah. I was preaching to myself. And, um, and the very person that I needed to reconcile with was sitting right in front of me. Um, and so it kind of, it reminded me once again that, you know, what we do is sacred and, um, God's word has real relevance in our lives. And sometimes you do not have the strength to say the words you need to say, yeah. but, the Holy Spirit's there. 
Absolutely. And, and you make it through. Well, I don't want to assume the answer to this next question just because uh, we've talked for so long about Advent and you have an Advent book coming out, but do you prefer preaching Christmas Eve or Easter? So one, um, <laughs> this is kind of a hard question to answer because I tend not to preach on Christmas Eve. Okay. Um, so I, I always preach Easter. There's always a sermon for Easter Sunday. But for Christmas Eve, I like to let the text speak for itself. Um, there's a rich story there. Um, we tend to do more of a lessons and carols format. Yeah. That being said, I, I think I do prefer Christmas Eve over Easter. Um, I still have a role in shaping kind of that overall narrative and, and making sure all the transitions are there. So maybe it's a sermon, you know, done a minute at a time. But yeah, I, I think Christmas Eve is is more powerful for me. It's a, it's a place um, that I connect more deeply because I think my theology is really incarnational and Christmas Eve for me is that reminder that Christ came to this earth and Christ took on our flesh and that it's that powerful moment um, that makes Easter possible. And it's really that, that first step. And I, I think we, we forget that, that power. And um, so for me, it's just as an important part of the salvation story as Easter is. Who have been some of the most impactful preachers or non-preacher communicators in your life? I think one of them has to be uh, Michael Williams. He's a, a pastor. He's just recently retired. Um, and I encountered uh, Michael in Nashville, and he is a storyteller. And um, his sermons really draw you in and um, allow you to connect your life with the Scripture. And I... Um, I kind of worked with Michael only from afar. We we were supposed to do it. I was supposed to do an internship with him, and then he moved to a new congregation, and I wasn't <laughs> able to. But we followed each other, and I just really appreciate um, the spirit and care with which he um, approaches speaking to the congregation. Well, other than All Earth is Waiting, what other books, podcasts, resources might you recommend our audience check out? I think one of the things I try to do is give myself a broad range of things. And I tend not to read a lot of churchy books. Um, I, I try to look for things outside of um, kind of the theology discipline yeah, sure. um, to help ground me. And so for, for this study in, in particular, as I was thinking about the earth, um, one book that I highly recommend is it's called The Third Plate by Dan Barber. Mm-hmm. And it's about food and sustainability. And what, what I love the most about it, I use it... Um, I was introduced to it in a, a class on organic ministry, and he approaches the whole thing from the perspective of being a chef and what tastes good. And I think it has invited me to think more about how do I approach ministry kind of from a different lens? Yeah. Uh, how do I, you know, am I approaching ministry to grow numbers or to do this or to do that? What what feels good? What What actually helps people to... Um, embrace their life of discipleship and, and just kind of, it puts a different spin on it. And I've appreciate, appreciated um, the way he does that. So that's one book I'd recommend. Um, I also turn a lot to poetry. So when I, I pulled out a couple of books and my favorite's Wendell Berry. So I have a lot of Wendell Berry stuff. And, yeah. Um, he just really digs down into kind of groundedness in the earth and, and, um, it's important to, to connect ourselves with this world that we live in. If there are listeners out there who'd like to get in touch and say hi or follow your work or have a question, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I have, I have a blog, and I have been doing less blogging 
lately, but um, I at least post sermons there currently, and uh, my blog is salvagedfaith.com, and um, so that's one place to find me, and I'm also um, on Twitter at Pastor Katie, so those are kind of the two two places to find me. Well, Katie, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today, sharing about your book and your preparation for Advent. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun to, to think about Advent through a different lens. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.